and welcome to another of our Glasgow Film Festival podcasts. And today I'm joined by a previous podcast guest, director Peter Mackie Burns. Hello, Peter. Hello. And uh, I'm now realising that I'm almost uh, recording every conversation I have and turning it into a podcast, <laughs> which is a terrible state of affairs. But anyway, it's really good to see you. And we're here to talk about a film that's going to be at the film festival, Rialto. Last time you were here, it was Daphne. It was. And um, that was well received pretty much across the board. Did you, were you pleased with how that was? Uh... Yeah, I was uh, delighted. It was a surprise that um, it seemed to find a small but loyal audience. Very much so. Yeah, we were, we were chuffed. And Emily Beecham, who was in Daphne, has gone to great things. She was in a movie, in fact, she's in a movie at the film festival. Oh, right, okay. Called Sulphur and White by right. Julian Jarrold. Okay. Uh, I don't care for that. She's great, and she's in a movie called Little Joe, right? Which is out, I think, just now, and she won the prize for best actress at Cannes um, last year. Excellent. So she's doing well. She's doing well, <laughs> and uh, and if you haven't seen Daphne, it's a fantastic film. In fact, it was on film four recently, wasn't it? It's on all four now. Is it? Well, the year can catch up on it. Well, we're here to talk about Rialto. Um, so what can you tell us about that film? Shall I start with the title? Yes. Okay. So, Rialto, of course, it's a bridge and a market in Venice. Right. But <laughs> some town planner in Dublin named uh, an area <laughs> Rialto. Right. Uh, and the movie is set not in Venice, but in the south side of Dublin. Right. Okay. In a, in a state. A, a settled community called Rialto where um, which had a terrible reputation in the 80s as a sort of heroin hotspot okay. but the area is becoming gentrified now and I think uh-huh. it's been reclaimed but for a long time it was a, an area sort that of people looked down upon so was it kind Dublin. of scheme on the outskirts of yeah. Dublin? not on the outskirts per se but in, mm. in the south of uh, Dublin Okay. Which is surrounded by, you know, sort of the even postcodes in Dublin, odd in the north right, and yeah. even in the, the south. And it tends to be the more moneyed area in, in Dublin, the, the south side. Okay. So Rialto then, the character comes from there. Mm-hmm. He's left his working class roots. He's a middle-aged man, his mm-hmm. name's Colm. He's gone to work in the docks, the only job he's ever had. And in the... The, the movie's set over five days when he sort of pulls the pin on yeah, his life. That's a good way of putting it, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, his father's died a month before. His father and him didn't see eye to eye. Yeah. And he has an issue with alcohol and he's impotent. So it's a classic middle-aged man <laughs> <laughs> movie. I'm interested, something I didn't realise when I watched it was his father died a month before, but yet the funeral is... Ah, right, okay. Yeah. So, in uh, the Catholic Church, particularly in Ireland, uh-huh. um, we have a thing called a month's mind. It's right. a mass uh-huh. a month after the funeral where the name is read out I by see. the priest. So all you proddy dogs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's not a funeral per it. se, it's a mask. Right, okay. Okay, got that. So but it has the similar you know, the way they like, yeah. go to the pub and they yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Or in this case only the immediate family go, no yeah. one else yeah. goes. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so that asks the question why this was always going to be set in Ireland because you're yeah. screenwriters from Ireland. Indeed, he's from Rialto. Is he really? Indeed, he is where okay. he lives. So is this very personal story to him? I think some of it's pretty personal to him, but it's you know he's um, a wonderful screenwriter, um, very very talented. Um, his name's Mark O'Halloran. He's an actor and a screenwriter, and he's famous across the length and breadth of Ireland and also in Europe because of a couple of movies that he wrote and worked on. So he wrote and starred in a comedy called Adam and Paul mm-hmm. uh, back in the day, which was the brilliant director Lenny Abrahamson's oh, yes. first movie. Right. And he actually plays one of the lead guys in it. It's a comedy about two... It's a Beckettian sort of comedy about two heroin addicts waking up. Uh, one of them stuck to a mattress outside and they have to walk from one side of Dublin to the other it's a great film black comic film and he also made another great film with Lenny Abramson called Garage which is a wonderful black comedy so I knew his writing you know and he doesn't write many screenplays I think he's maybe written four or five but he's a working actor too he's a really good actor he was in Shane Meadows TV show The Virtues, oh, yes, which was on recently, uh-huh. also on all four. Uh-huh. Giving, <laughs> can't believe I'm giving all four and Shane Meadows a plug, but there you are. And he's in that, he's a really good actor. And he's coming to the QA, okay, we're doing it at Glasgow Film Festival, which is on the 27th, yeah, Thursday, the 27th, um, 8 30, screening GFT, yeah, uh, which is important to see. Will you be able to see uh, the film for yourself? So um, that explains why it's set in Ireland. I wasn't sure about that itself, but it was always going to be that way. What did that did that throw up problems for you working in Ireland that were different from working in because Daphne's set in London? Yeah. Um, well, what happened was the producers of Daphne um, phoned me, Tristan Golliger and um, Valentina Brazini, the, the producers and of. A company called the Bureau who make lots of first, second, and third feature films. Okay. That's their MO. So right. they found great directors. They work with like um, Asif Kapadia uh-huh. for his first film. Lynn Ramsey, I think, did the wow. first film with uh, Bertrand, who set up the Bureau. So they're always looking for first, second, sometimes third. Andrew Hay, you know, the guy who made um, Weekend in 45 years. Yes, yes. Lean on Pete. So when you say first, second, third, would they take a director and do their first, yeah. second, and third? Yeah. Okay. Often first and second, sometimes yeah. even third film. So I'd done Daphne with them and they called me and said, listen, have you heard of Marco Halloran? I said, yeah, I'm a fan of his writing. He's great. And he said, well, would you like to throw your ring in the hat? your hat in the ring rather <laughs> don't really want to throw my ring anywhere <laughs> would you throw your hat in the ring um, be considered for doing a screenplay by him so I said sure let me read it and I read it I thought it was terrific so it was you know it was already quite far developed down the road right so they had most of the funding in place certainly from Ireland right and it was a co-production between uh, the UK and Ireland so the, I'd worked with the producers before I loved the writer the format was there so in a sense it, it, it was as easy as doing a, a right. co-production of a film in another country could be yeah you know and of course the, the film's in English yeah so you know that wasn't 
And sure. in terms of um, deciding to, to do it, you almost went with Mark's reputation and your oh, kind of love for him alone rather than... Because so, uh, having watched the film, I thought, these are subjects I can see Peter might uh, <laughs> be interested in. No, I just mean in terms of... You, your films are character films, I think yeah. that's fair to say. Yeah, that's a character film, definitely. And this is that's what it is, you know. Yeah, well... I hadn't planned to make another character film after Daphne. So Daphne, the main character, is in every scene, almost in every frame of the yeah, film. Yeah. So I'd started work on another film about a mother and son, a Christmas movie, funnily enough. Okay. When this came along, and again, a character film, but it, the main character's never seen. But I thought he, it was such an interesting character mm. who's on quite an unusual journey. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this is too good to, to pass Absolutely. up because I think the story is terrific. So it's quite a familiar, in a sense, it's a, uh, you, you may be familiar with the setup of the, the film, in a sense, from other mm. films. Uh, so a, a middle-aged man who's grieving uh, has a difficult marriage and something about the death of his recent father seems to propel him into a sort of chaos. Yeah. And... One day, he decides to go and becomes obsessed by a, a young male prostitute. Yeah. And he's propelled into a life or a, an encounter with a male prostitute. And he isn't, isn't a gay man. Yeah. But he's propelled into this strange world. And he... And it is almost a decision. Yeah, I, mean, a, I think so. We don't want to give anything away overly. Uh, it's 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 a situation that you could walk away from, but he decides to but he doesn't. go the other way. I think he's looking to explode his life. Yeah. You know? So he has a loving wife and two kids. He gets on very well with his daughter, his son. Yes. He's quite rebellious and doesn't like his father, as, as my own son would say. <laughs> Dad, you're lame. <laughs> <laughs> So it doesn't have a great relationship with him. So something about the death of his father has propelled him into turmoil in his own life. And he sort of seeks solace in a relationship with a young man mm -hmm. who's a sex worker. Yeah. And it's kind of odd because the reason why I was interested in the film per se is that between them they form this sort of very deeply, deeply flawed safe space. Yeah. For both of them, where they can talk about their lives in an unfettered sense. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's quite interesting in one sense, because these men, and the, the young sex worker, Jay, who's like 20, is a new father, mm -hmm. you know, and he's doing sex work for money. And Colm is a middle-aged, impotent man. Yeah who can't speak to his wife or can't speak to any of his workmates. Yeah. And, and uh, there are other things falling apart. There's other things like, falling apart. He's losing his job. You know, he's losing his relationship with his family. He feels partially to blame because he couldn't save his father. His father had a heart attack. Yeah. And he was there and he couldn't, you know, didn't have the wherewithal to, or the ability to mm -hmm. save him. You know, so he's in a, he's in a pretty dark place, and he's and what I like about the character is that the journey he goes on is pretty dark. You know, mm -hmm. he ends up in a relationship with a young 
boy and he pulls the pin in his own family life mm-hmm. and it's not that he dislikes his family he loves them yeah and the self-destructive behavior he has to blow himself up i think to finally face himself it's an amazing um central performance because a bit like emily with daphne he's almost in every, i think he's almost in every every scene yeah yeah again that thing of fun um it's also uh, i was thinking about um other a uh, like writers so this kind of drama of the everyday because it kind of is that although it's yeah. an extraordinary situation in some ways it's one that would happen just yeah. everything in it you would think will happen to someone at some point not everything in it but you yeah. know a lot of the things that, that certainly set them off um and that's something that you're kind of interested in the kind of details of, of people every day and, and how that kind of plays out I was speaking to, to someone lately and I don't really... Um, you're attracted to the work that you're attracted to. Yeah. You know? And some people believe that, you know, as a, as a perhaps as a director, I'm not sure about writers, but you find your territory and you explore it, yeah. you know? And there's the other school of thought, I suppose, which said, you know, every movie's different. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, I think I... Go or the films I'm interested in, or the filmmakers, probably novelists too, where they find their territory and yeah. they refine it. Uh-huh. And I, I was speaking to someone, they said, Well, the thing that your two movies have in common are sort of big things happening to everyday people. Yes. You know, extraordinary yeah. things to ordinary people, yeah. perhaps. Uh-huh. And I thought, Oh, well, that's quite interesting because I would never sort of analyse my own work. You know, yes. I make it. Yeah. And yeah, then I look for the like... next thing to make. <laughs> Focal <laughs> microphones to say, oh, <laughs> But even going back to your short films, there is that thing about very relatable... Characters, yeah. Characters, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, family, intergenerational relationships interest me. Um, but I suppose they're the thing of all. Drama, and they have been to date, but, you know, the next film might be different. Yeah. You know, they, so... They are, but... Um, there's an... Honesty in, in, in both your films, uh, in features, in that I think the people act as I would almost expect them to act. With a couple of, you say there's, in everyone's life there's decisions, you think, oh, if I'd done that differently, things might have gone very, very differently, either good or bad. But in the whole, in terms of one-on-one relationships, I think people act as yeah. you might expect them to. It's not looking for... The, the fantastic. The fantastical yeah. or the big resolve yes. at the end it made me think yeah. of the this, when uh, Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld were first writing Seinfeld no learning no hugging yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's quite that but you know what yeah. I mean you're not kind of well, I think looking my, for easy answers in it I <laughs> talking about Larry David uh, I was watching Curb Your Enthusiasm with my daughter the other day and she said to me she'd never seen it before she said dad you're like him but not funny <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's right. <laughs> I was like, thanks, thanks. Oh, yes. <laughs> she hasn't watched Seinfeld yet. She loves Friends, so I'm hoping yeah. she's twelve. So I'm hoping she'll get into Seinfeld soon, and maybe I could sit and watch some of them. Uh, Following a theme, I believe they might be on all four as well. So you'd be oh, there you go. Oh my God, that's <laughs> one to buy. Another thing I'm very interested in with Rialto is the music or the soundtrack. Rather. Ah, right, sure. So um, it. 
there was a sense of dread about it. Was yeah. that a kind of deliberate? Yeah, thing? yeah. Um, I worked. I worked, when I first started cutting the film. I knew that I wanted to have a score for the film, and what I quite like doing. And it's quite a common tool in filmmaking. I'm sure it is in other arts too, but it's contrast. So, if you say um, Daphne and even Rialto are pitched round about the realm of, you might say, the genre of social realism, mm -hmm. then what I try to do in that is use, say, colour, for example, as an expressionistic thing that you wouldn't normally associate with social realism. Yeah, okay. And these two elements clash with each other. And I often think if things clash and you don't expect the sound and image, you know, mm -hmm. to, to be what you think it should be, then it creates a bit of tension in the film. Yeah. So what I thought with making a social realist film with Daphne, well, I wanted to make the sound and work with a, a score that would clash with what you'd, normally and hope, hopefully it would create some interesting tension when it clashes so what I have is an orchestrated score and mm -hmm. effectively what looks like a social realist film Yeah. and the idea behind that was, was pretty old fashioned I wanted to use the inner life of calm which you don't see like in real life you don't see people's in, in, in everyday life you tend not to see people's inner life yes. but you get hints of it through what they do and how they do it or what their interests are and I thought well could we use the score it's an old trope to try to illustrate in some sense or hint at the central character's inner life right which is actually more heightened and melodramatic and full of suspense than he might appear to be yeah and I like the idea that you could be sitting next to someone on the bus or the tube or past them and you don't really know of course what's going on inside them and I thought well in, in, in film then we could use the score to help create another element of the character mm -hmm. which seems at odds with often what you see yeah yeah so I worked on that with a, a brilliant French composer um, a chap young guy from Paris I say young, I think he's 30. <laughs> I know what you mean. Uh, called Valentin Hajaj. And he did the music for a movie that was out last year called um, Girl. Okay. You've seen it? Which yeah. is, it was in Toronto. It was a great film, but it was released here about uh, a transgender um, ballet dancer. It's a really good film. And the producer of this movie, Tristan, was in Toronto and saw the girl and he said, well, you should listen to this guy so okay. I listened to his stuff online and we managed to call him up because the girl was quite a big hit in France and Europe and the festivals right. and we managed to get him at a good rate before he becomes too famous and we met and I, I spoke to him about the ideas and the film and he I think it's very difficult to talk about music if yeah. you're not a musician sure you know, it's very hard to get a, a grasp without going, then I want it to go dun dun dun, yeah, yeah. you know. But he could listen to my, you know, terrible ideas or notes. And from that, he built a score, which I think's terrific. Oh, it's amazing. It, it, it kind of caught me unaware of it because initially you sit down and you're kind of getting the, 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 the drama and trying to work out the characters and everything. 
this is it's almost like a kind of horror it reminded me a little bit of music from under the skin yes that that's exact you know that's really interesting because um Mika Levy, mm-hmm. the score for Under the Skin is extraordinary. Yeah. So when I was cutting the film, I used Under the Skin mm-hmm. as temp. Ah, there you go. As temp music. Yeah, yeah. You know? Uh-huh. And um, so it's, it uses uh, some similar instrumentation. Yes, yes. Uses the cello, but actually one of the biggest um, influences on it for me is uh, Bernard Herrmann. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it's similar to music from Vertigo yeah. in places yeah. but also Absolutely. I wanted to be a classical score but contemporary yeah which is and I love Mika Levy too you know she's Absolutely. extraordinary yeah and that was very much the intention to try make the audience feel oh there's something brewing yeah that's what I got about here. and it kind of creeps up on you which is rather nice yeah it's Cause nice because there's lots of space in yeah. the film to reflect on what's going on and that's when it kind of comes into the side and you realise well wait a minute this music is directing me in some way yeah. that's not comfortable yeah he's very good composer he's very very smart I think he'll probably be I don't think I'll be able to afford them <laughs> for the next <laughs> film yeah. but he's extraordinary really talented guy so when did you finish up Realto has that been done recently or oh, I can't remember I think we finished um, there was, when was it? Was it, so this is, um, where are we now? This is February. Yeah. 2020. 2020, thank you. <laughs> I think we finished up the cut and the mastering, uh, everything and doing the sound. We did the sound over in Sweden. Uh, I think we finished that almost a year ago. Yeah. And then of course, with the small art house films, you send them off to film festivals. That's what I was going to ask. Wait. When does it go from being finished and then you almost switch into, right, we have to promote this now and yeah. get it out there? Almost. You look at the dates of the, the A-list festivals, the big festivals yeah. that, that get attention, when they're coming up, yeah. when the submissions open, when they close. And if you, you try to finish, if there's a date coming up, so you try to finish for, say, Sundance, or you, mm-hmm. you try to finish for Cannes, or you try to finish for Venice or Berlin, the A-list festivals. So at the small indie film, to get a film into one of those um, festivals, there's three in Europe, Berlin, Cannes, the biggest one, and Mm -hmm. Venice too. Those are the three main ones in uh, Europe and in America, it's um, Sundance, Mm -hmm. Terry Red. So if you apply for one and they're interested, um, then you have to wait a while. And if they say yes, then you have to sit on it. Right. <laughs> it sits in a digital drawer, <laughs> you know, in a file until they can announce it. So we were extremely fortunate that Venice came on really early. They liked the film a lot. And we had to wait for seven seven months or something. Really? As long as that? Wow. Yeah. But, you know, after I've made the film and it's locked, my job, but that part of it's done. Sure. So I can so I can use that time to try write or get another project yeah. off the go, you know. So in a way, as soon as I'm done with it, it disappears until it goes into the cinemas or it goes into a festival. Because so, when it comes into festivals, then obviously you're called on again. Yeah, you go. Q&As yeah, and, you go and sing for your supper. And, you yeah. know, you try to build an audience and promote the film. 
You end up doing podcasts. Exactly, exactly. And Q and A's. Yeah, all of these things. I'm sure you enjoy very much. I. And what about something next? Are you working on something here? Yeah, Talk yeah. Talk about it, or I, I'm working on a few projects for the bureau. Right. Uh, two of them are, uh, I can say, are. That's the kind of Kafka. <laughs> <laughs> two of them are movies, right. and one's a, a TV idea. Uh-huh. And I'm working on a, a, a TV idea. With another company too, so I have some irons in the fire, but I can't really talk about them because none of them have been greenlit yet. I'm guessing dragons and aliens and all that. Well, well funnily enough, a bit of a change. Oh, really interesting. Yeah, with um, well, one of the the movie projects is a bigger cast, and it's set in London. It has a it's a romance and it has a political backdrop to it and it's not a single character thing and it's a has a bit more um suspense and a little bit more politics in it excellent um well peter i think uh, it's time for us to call it a day thank you very much <laughs> thank you and um looking forward to seeing the film uh, at the glasgow film festival when it's on and a uh, Firing some difficult questions at you. <laughs> oh, please uh, do. Please and, do. Um, and we'll be back soon with someone that completely different. Cheers. Mm-hmm.